Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Yes, that's yes. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Hello! We are once again without intrepid Oak Ridge correspondent Lee Younger. He will be back with us next week. But in the meantime, we have some great questions. We've got some wonderful insight to share. But first... We must start off with a technological emergency. Oh. And now, uh, dear listener, if you're anything like this on the show, the thing you may have noticed about the future is it's mostly terrible. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I have noticed that. You know, it's it's a common uh, complaint, but it doesn't make it any less true that, you know, those of us who grew up on on the science fiction and the, the Star Treks and the Star Wars and the whatnot, we were promised... We were promised a lot. And what we got was mostly not that. There's some kind of electric cars that kind of drive themselves, but they also kind just of. ram into small children randomly. So um, there's a lot that's been left on the table. But in this last couple of weeks, we did have a big leap forward in jetpack technology. Oh, yeah. Woo. According to some media outlets, uh, our friends, I believe it was in the Royal Marines or the British Armed Forces there, uh, have developed a jetpack that, according to the video, can at least get a guy from one ship to another ship before he runs out of fuel. Whoa. That's pretty killer. This leads to a lot of interesting questions of how this could revolutionize personal transport, exactly how horribly the first billionaire who tries this out is going to explode all of the joints in their lower body, (laughs) and other fun things. But for our purposes, gentlemen, I think it's time to look at how we market this to churches. Oh, Oh. pastor in a jetpack. That's right. If your sermon, pageant, conference entrance whatever needs a little extra pizzazz how can we get in on marketing the jetpack to the megachurch world man well you, you know they're gonna want one that's that's part of it you know i'm one assuming of them they, get, half of them have already ordered it yeah i mean it's <laughs> like one guy gets laser beams they all get to have laser beams you know it's that kind of uh, totally logical type of situation but you know, we we I think we did cover, didn't we? Like the pastor that was like zip lining around his sanctuary. Oh, we covered zip line oh, pastor. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, he zip lined halfway through his sanctuary <laughs> before yeah. we had some slack issues. <laughs> Look, I think whatever we can do to get pastors as close as possible to a Peter Pan type situation, the better we're all going to be. Mean tights? <laughs> well, you know. There were other aspects of the Peter Pan story that may not be that uh, that useful, but I, I, I tend to agree. But, I mean, the obvious one is this is going to add a whole new uh, element, a third dimension, if you will, to the Easter sermon. Like, yes. Even your, uh, your more uh, Protestant denominations that normally don't really keep the holidays going all the way through Ascension's going to become a big day on the liturgical calendar everywhere. You know, yeah. that's right. Once jetpacks are in the mix. Oh dude, 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 dude. Easter Sunday. Cause you know, you got to bust out all the tricks for the people on Easter Sunday. Right. You know, cause that's, you know, that's when people show up and you know, you, you can really you know, do something. So you have the choir put on up from the grave. He arose. Right, uh-huh. and do this big anthemic, and pastor shoots up from behind them when they hit a rose. That is an entrance, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, not like a good one, but it's an entrance. Well, yeah, I think it, you know, I maybe this is a, a more negative way of applying the same sort of technology, but if you're a pastor who senses that your days are numbered in this church like maybe they're thinking of letting you go 
the idea that you would somehow just ascend to heaven before they do it, <laughs> that would uh, that'd be like one of those like, hey, you know, uh, maybe we should have kept him, that kind of thing. Well, you know, the other use, which I think has to be noted, right, is in the take this job and shove it fantasy, right? Like one part of that is you always need the quick escape after you've said, take this job and shove it. And what better way, what better escape mechanism than a jetpack? So, you know, if you're a church pastor, you know, you gather whoever, the elder board or the, the difficult congregant, you say, I don't need you people, I'm out. And you throw something on the ground and then you jet pack away. Cause right. A, I mean, you've gotten out of the conversation and with style, but maybe, and I think this is a selling point, I think this is a feature for the say that brand of jetpack is maybe if you deliver a blistering speech and then you lift off on your jetpack, maybe like, you know what? Normally I would say, forget that guy. But he has a jetpack. Maybe he knows something the rest of us don't. I want to give more weight to his words. I'm going to go home and think about the decisions yeah. I've been making in my life. That's that right. could happen. Sure. I mean, you got to respect a man with a jetpack and a MDiv. <laughs> so we're talking about the the spiritual impact of making an exit with style. This is exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I love that. I think we can expand it out, as you're saying, not even to the, the uh, you know, as Enoch said, you can't fire me, I quit, and then just fire up through the ceiling. <laughs> um, but to the, yeah, the, the, the conversations you want to escape from, what quicker way to escape than jetpack? Like, you, you, right. you, you feel, Pastor, in your heart that you want to give that sermon about how, you know, the the news you you people intake and the financial weirdo you all ascribe to is killing your souls and actually drawing you further from Jesus and you 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 feel you've gotten to the point of summoning up your courage that you could give the sermon but the part that's stopping you is then I got to sit back down and I got to wait in the parking lot and they're all going to be da, da, da. no you just say you say financial peace financial peace we're not doing that book anymore that's insane jetpack <laughs> right. right. See y'all yeah, next Sunday, but for now, jetpack. Yeah, and that it, gives that kinda... them a chance to marinate in what you said instead yeah. of being able to process that by having a problem with you. Yeah, it kind of shuts things down, you know, in a positive way. It's it's a vertical exclamation point in a lot of ways. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Well put. Well, you know, we just went through the holidays. Think about how many times you're with, you know, a, a family member and you just want to jetpack right out of there. Well, now you can. Well, I think this does solve one of the big problems, particularly in the Midwest around holiday gatherings and gatherings otherwise, which is the the moment of well, it's getting a little late. We're going to we're going to head out. And then you got the one more thing and the, oh, do you want some leftovers? And then you're going to get to the door, but they walk you to the door and you're still chatting. And then kind of, they kind of on the porch of the car. As soon as you decide, well, I've had enough engage jetpack. Right. <laughs> no more of that slow walk to the car where right. people can grab on to, where people conversational hooks can stay in you and, Get one more thing. Do you need to leave that meeting? Oh, there you go. There's a whole new um, uh, product marketing. It's the real life version of hitting leave meeting in Zoom. Yes. Right. Yes. There's none of that like, oh, Dave, Dave's going to grab you on the way out. Just one more thing. Just like, no, meeting's over. Jetpack. <laughs> I'm well, gone. That's the. That's the button on the jetpack. It's not ignition. It just says leave meeting. Yeah, that's right. The big red button that says leave meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be moving on. Well, those are all obviously outstanding uh, options, but there's one important aspect of the megachurch experience that we leave unexplored that I don't think we can uh, move on until we've looked at options for worship leader jetpacks. Oh, oh wow! Now, eventually, the end point obviously is having the entire worship band with these hovering above the audience, doing the fifteenth bridge, 
you know, frantically playing before the, the jetpack fuel runs out. But what, what are some entry level ideas? Entry level in terms of this jetpack can't take you very far, but it give you a little lift. You got to make a lot with that. Yeah. And it is, uh, to use the pun, a pilot program. You know, maybe we don't have them for the whole team yet, but just maybe, maybe just the worship leader has one. He's got 30 seconds. How do we put that to maximum effectiveness? Well, you know, my my first thought actually was for the lead guitarist to have one. Oh. And when it's time for the big solo, he jetpacks up as he's playing it. I like that. I like that a lot. Kind of, you know, starts playing and then just as he's really hitting a, a big bend, just, just people notice the altitude starting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to picture the physics of this thing because you know you're you're shooting out, you know, really hot exhaust out the other end of this thing. So that's the campaign for the new worship experience is at you know First Family Faith Fellowship Family Faith Community Church is you know come to our worship service, feel the heat. And oh, you just, that's good. That's you just good. buzz them. You know what I mean? Like somebody on the front row's got a toupee and you just blast it right off his noggin. That People are going to show up for that. Well, I think I may have a perfect use. If you, if you go to a large enough church that they can spare no expense and really outfit everybody, I think this is the one that I would be most excited about. We've all been there in that moment where it's it's a mega church and pastor is finishing his his talk and he says he's got the kind of one the little closing prayers like you know and as the worship team returns to lead us in our closing song I just want to lead us all in prayer and check it out the worship team floats down from the sky right oh that's nice <laughs> I mean that's yeah that's a way to bring the worship team back with pizzazz Absolutely. Well, I think with when we get the worship team involved, we risk over pizzazzing because Glenn, you know, mentioned you buzz them. And maybe that's the, the one flaw in Jed's plan of the lead guitarist. I think we have to be careful oh, yeah. who we give the jetpacks to <laughs> because you might get a little Tom Cruise and Top Gun situation where they're buzzing the tower without permission. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think you just invented a product, which is the jetpack tether. Oh, so it's, you know, it's like a big elastic band. So you can go up, but you can't go that far. It's the equivalent of a mic stand. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's like a, a, a leash for a surfboard. But here, here's what I'm saying is, what if we think about this the other way? Like, you know, we've all been to the worship uh, situation where they're circling this chorus one time too many or 10 or 12 times too many. What if we have the button and we can just jetpack them up out of here? Oh, the ejection chair. Yeah. Yes. Enough people vote for it to <laughs> blast off and they're just out of here. I want to be clear. If your church does that, I will show up to see it. <laughs> yeah. So we're pitching kind of a uh, a rocketeer meets gong show meets church. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. I would check that out. Matt King, let me ask you this, and I want I want you to shoot me straight. Would you not attend the Church of the Rocketing Gong? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Well, I think then we fold that in if we can afford all of them to you can also uh in kind of a gamified way, because the thing about the pastor is that's that's kind of a uh a voting someone off the island. It's kind of uh yeah. binary, and that's delightful in its own way. But I think you also have the worship team option. But it's the audience is picking which one goes first. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. people have maybe had enough of the the eighth drum solo and a song that really doesn't call for it, and all of a sudden, well, he's just gone. He's just yeah. in the rafters. The rhythm section is now cut in half. <laughs> well, there's always the one singer that wants to take the mic off the mic stand and suddenly they're really, you know, they're on Vegas uh, floor show kind of a space in their head and they're kind of doing the thing where they hold the finger to the ear kind of thing, kind of to harmonize and 
Sometimes you just want to blast them right up out of there. <laughs> yes, I th- and I think my my prediction would be that the last man standing would always be the bass player because yeah, everyone just right. forgot they were there. Right. <laughs> I've never been clear on what that guy does. <laughs> if ever there was a situation where not standing out is going to be a very good thing, you want to blend into the background, and I think that's exactly the way to do it. And then, of course, for maximum chaos factor and wonder, there's uh, for the big uh, choir songs, there's the option of when do we eject the director? Oh, yeah. Be keeping it, they're keeping everybody in time. You know, the children's choir, they got it moving. And then around the middle of verse two, now we just see what now we see what the choir can do on their own <laughs> as kind of a self-governing anarchic collective. We well, you know. To to marry some of this almost to a gladiator kind of thing, what if the voting was during the choral piece, the voting was to determine how good a job the director did. And if he did an overall good job, he's gently lifted up as he bows, you know, and it's, you know, it's like we're exalting him. If he did a bad job, he gets lifted up really fast, really far. And so it's like we enjoy the choral piece. But then we have the gamification of how did he do? What did the audience think? And what's going to happen? I, I would watch that TV show. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. Sure. And you have to spare thought for the person who owns the house, uh, you know, about a quarter mile away from the church who every Sunday at one half expects uh, director Johnson to be in his backyard. <laughs> like, oh, they didn't, they didn't like the original, huh, Dan? Maybe just maybe just stick to Amazing Grace next time. See what happens. Play the hits, Dan. It's a lesson in this for all. I think we started off with a novelty, and what we ended up with something much better, and that's a a form of discipline for your church staff. Yeah. Uh, immediate feedback might be the uh, the category for that, and I think they're all going to be a lot happier and better off in the long run, assuming the helmets hold up. Yeah. Which I'm sure they will. And on that note, we will declare emergency off. But Jetpack, apparently, very much, very much on. Oh, All yeah. right. If you want some more good bridge stuff in your life, you can join us every Sunday for the, at 7 p.m. Central Time for the Bridgecast, a video version of our weekly bridge service. If you can't be with us on Tuesday night in Chicago, it is the next best thing every Sunday at 7 p.m. If you want to join us live, Get involved in the chat. It's a lot of fun in there. But if you can't join us, then you can find every single one of those archived over the videos tab, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links right there. Our first question comes in and says, I liked what Lee said on a recent episode about blatantly keeping on asking for what you need. I very well know what I need, but not how to attain it. So what does this conversation look like when it shifts from what to how? I think this is a a really cool question because a lot of the idea of of desire, of listening to the Lord, of looking for next steps, very rightly, because it is the first one, I think focuses on that what. You know, who should I marry? What job should I take? Where should I move? What, What is the next thing? What, what, what? But there is going to be a moment where once you've identified something, now we need to understand how God wants us to go about getting that and achieving those things. And Glenn, where would we start off with that? Well, it is a great question, and it's a great way of looking at it, that you, as exactly as Matt was saying, we can sort of overly focus on, you know, uh, big uh, questions uh, or big turning points, big uh, forks in the road, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we're sort of obsessing about those things as a way of avoiding how am I actually going to do that thing? You know, first we make the decision, then we work out the how. So it's a great place for your head to be in to say, okay, I know what I need. Uh, next step is how do I hook that up? Uh, I think that the very, very first thing I want you to look at on that is obstacles. What sort of obstacles are are in your path uh, in moving towards this thing that you need? That could be 
any number of a zillion different things. It might be a past trauma. It might be um, a, just a, a hang-up that you have. It could be a bad habit that you have. It could be a fear that you have. Uh, but to look for those obstacles, you know, last week we were talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about throwing off all these things that hinder us and uh, the sin that entangles us. But it's it's this idea of moving forward, there's, there's always a resistance to that. There's always something uh, that's in our path that's kind of, you know, tripping up our feet, I think is the way I see that verse playing out. So it's about looking at what what are those things that are holding you back. Um, I think part of the reason why I want you to think of it that way is because there's a reason why this need isn't already met in your life. In some cases, it's because the timing wasn't right, and the Lord needs you to go through some changes for it to be right. And there may be one or two changes still needing to be dealt with and something like that. Uh, Sometimes the reason why you were not already meeting this need. It was, again, these fears, a trauma, or something that's holding us back. You need to know what those reasons are, because you, you're going to be trying to move forward and constantly kind of butting your head against those things and entangled in all those things. It's a lot easier if we get rid of those obstacles. And I'm sure these other fellows can give you a lot of things about moving, moving forward past, once you get those obstacles out from underneath your feet. Final note, though, on that, when we're talking about obstacles, <coughs> excuse me, is we want to be on the lookout for a religious-sounding obstacle. Uh, because I think those are the ones that we really struggle to get rid of. So let's think of it like this. If I have, um, I you know, I have a need to have healthy adult romantic relationships and I'm an adult and I'm a healthy emotional person and I'm ready. And now I'm just saying, okay, how do I go about that? Well, the the thing is, step one is to recognize why we weren't already having these healthy relationships. And if that's just a basic fear, uh, then, and we can acknowledge that, then we can get rid of that fear and confess that fear to the Lord and say, Lord, make me a courageous person. I want to do courageous things, and I want my romantic life to be filled with stories of courageous stories that might end in heartbreak, but might end in something great. And this is what I want my life to be about. That's easy. But what's hard is when you have a fear about pursuing romantic relationships and you religiousize that, and you spiritualize it, and you say, oh, I'm just waiting for the perfect person, and just being really prayerful, and I'm just, like, being patient. In the way. You're not doing any of those things. You're just being a chicken. And But by spiritualizing, by turning that obstacle and turning that fear into something virtuous and good, it's now harder for you to get rid of that because you thought of that as a good thing. You told yourself this is what you were doing as a good thing, and it's hard to give up a good thing. It's hard to say this good thing's an obstacle in my life. Uh, so we had to look at when we're making sort of these religious-sounding excuses uh, and root those things out. And that might be the first step for you in pursuing this thing uh, that you now know that you need, and, and as you're looking for how am I going to go about getting it. That's a great place to start that off. And Jed, I'd love you to get you to pick us up there, because I think one of the big question, one of the big differences between the questions of what and how, when we're talking about these kind of big life things, is that the what is often so tailored, as we talk about a lot on the show, that it can, the real answer to that can only come from God and can only be sussed out in some way, in some of those ways. But as Glenn is pointing out, when you have a concrete what, oftentimes there's a lot of earthly knowledge on the how to get yeah. there. And how do we mix those resources when it comes to how? That's a great question, man. Uh, so to review, you figured out what you want to do, but you don't know how to do it. Well, that's actually a great place to be because once you know, just like Matt's saying, once you know what you want to do, there are definitely people in the world who know how to do that thing. You may or may not know them, and that's okay. That's We can solve that. But 
somebody knows how to do this. At the very least, there are people who know more than you do about how to do it. So there's there's a knowledge base to work from and to access. So the follow-up question is pretty simple. It's just, do you know who one of those people is? One of those people who knows more about the subject than you do, hopefully has an expertise, hopefully has done something like this before. Do you know anybody like that? And if you're fortunate, the answer will be yes, in which case, you know, uh, go go ask them. Uh, you'd be – one thing that's worth noting, and I've had a little bit of a weird life, but uh, there's a phrase called informational interviewing. Uh, it's basically I, I want to interview someone just because I, I want to learn. And if you can dig it, I've asked a lot of people for informational interviews in my life. Hardly anybody ever says no to that. If you're approaching people and saying, hey, I, there's a thing I know you know more than me about, you know, would you be willing to, to tell me a few things? Like, that's not something you need to be shy about because people love to do that, generally speaking. They, they love that. to say yes to that. So uh, be, be eager. But supposing that you don't know uh, who that person would be, well... We're going to begin networking, uh, which is another thing that can feel a little scary if you haven't done it before, but it's you can do it, I promise. And it's a skill. You definitely can get better at it. So ask, in my current social circle, who are the people who are likeliest to know someone who would know something about this? It's not that I assume they know, but they, they probably would know somebody. Then start asking. You know, Go to those people and say, hey, here's the kind of thing I'm trying to do. Do you know anybody who knows anything about that? I think you'll find eventually you will find someone who um, who knows something about it. And, and here's the key thing is you kind of can't find it if you're not looking for it. If you're not in a mode of saying, I, I do need this kind of guidance, this kind of input. But once you start looking sooner or later, you, you, you will. You'll find it. You'll find that right resource. It might be super fast. It might take a little while. But uh, it's worth it to be patient because it turns out that in most things – um, there's a lot of trouble and a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty that you can be saved just by uh, leaning on the experience of other people. Uh, but again, I think that that developing those skills of informational interviewing and of networking, those will pay incredible dividends in all kinds of areas in your life other than the one that you're, that you're working on. So doing that work will really be kind of a double blessing of both figuring out this specific thing, but also developing a couple of new skills that'll really hook you up and really bless you in your life. I think that's all great stuff from these guys. And I agree with every bit of it. Another thing I would add at the end of it here is oftentimes, and this is not true entirely about everything. Uh, sometimes there's a way to get from, to get from A to B and it really needs to be that. But oftentimes when we go from the what to the how, there's also an aspect of uh, experimentation and yeah. trying stuff and kind of things that 30% succeed and 70% fail, but we learn something from the 30% because there's this, this big dialing in what is often a binary. It's often, um, you know, uh, do I want this job or not? Do I move to this place or not? Do I pursue a relationship with this person or not? How, is a lot more of kind of uh, steering a boat and just kind of pointing and seeing how things happen and seeing how things develop and picking up things and dropping things. And if you're not used to thinking in those terms, you're not used to doing that, that can feel very overwhelming. It can feel very draining because you put all this emotional energy, all this prayer, all this thought into getting to the point of decision and it can often feel like in a in a just insane world, that would be where the work ends and you just get to to do the thing now. But uh, you can learn a lot in those things, as Jed's pointing out, kind of with something that if you haven't done it, uh, the term informational interview may sound really dry and really, you know, like a lot of work and a lot of uh, effort to go to for something that's not that fun. Uh, all three of us on this show have have done that kind of thing, have talked to people who know more yeah. about a subject than us. It's really interesting to hear someone who knows a lot about a topic, talk about it. Um, yeah. You may not, you're not going to understand hundred percent what they say. hundred percent what they say is not going to apply to you, but you know, you might make a new uh, acquaintance along the way. You'll pick up something that'll get you from, you know, B to C and it can be a very fun thing. It can be a very uh, freeing thing. It can be a very energizing thing because you know, you're moving toward 
what you're headed toward. You know, you have that confidence that you really, you really prayed that up. You really thought that through. You've got a direction now, and now is about charting that course and redirecting and finding things that work better. And if you will give yourself to that process, if you will invite the Lord into that, really go at that for all it's worth, you'll get a lot of benefits in a lot of different directions, and it's a very, very cool thing. We're going to jump to our next question here. It comes in and says, My husband and I are planning on starting a family. Unfortunately, due to previous health problems, I may struggle to conceive naturally. Is IVF an option for Christians? I have concerns about the ethics of multiple embryos being created, but not all being used. We're really unsure about it and what to do for the best. So, it's a great question. We really appreciate you writing it in. Um, before I get these guys to uh, to kind of go at what's going on here, uh, we're going to uh, start off with the uh, normal disclaimers. The first one and most important one, not doctors. Uh, so, right. we're not, we don't have opinions on in vitro fertilization. Um, that is a personal choice that you and your partner and a medical professional should make. Uh, I do know that there is such a thing as single embryo IVF, if that's a, a huge concern for you. Again, these are conversations you can have with your doctor about things that are you feel that are issues to you. So on that, we're going to uh, put the official say that response as personal choice. Some people may feel that way about IVF. Some people may not. The, that's all valid. But within that, and what I want to get these guys to pick up is this huge swath of life where there's not a Christian answer. You can, you can read the articles from people and there's just, there's nothing in the Bible about in vitro fertilization. There's a lot of people who speak with a clarity and a (laughs) forcefulness as if there were, but they're super not. And there's, uh, unlike some other topics around things like medical stuff and political stuff and economic stuff we talk about on the show, This really is a huge range of perfectly valid opinions for the individual. So, Glenn, and I'd love to get you to start us off here. Let's put the the specifics of in vitro fertilization aside. But when we have a question like that, where there really truly is no right answer, and there's not even really one ethical answer, there's a lot of variance from person to person. How do we go about navigating that and arriving at something that is right for us? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, as you say, this is definitely territory where you need to be talking to your doctor. And, you know, I think uh, just about any medical professional can lay out what, you know, certainly they can lay out the landscape of the biology of the thing. And, you know, from there you can you know, look at the ethics of it because now you're armed with the facts of what's going on there. But, uh, and that ought to be between your doctor and and you and, and whatever spiritual leader you've got. But I, I, I totally agree with the sentiment that that Matt's talking about here. There, there are some things that are such a sacred space that um, it's really important that it's mostly just you two and the Lord, and that's about it. Um, so, and, and this is one of those areas. So, you know, I I, I definitely echo what Matt's laying down there. Um, so let's maybe think about it like this. It would be a tragedy for any part of your life to be ruled by legalism. You know, that's a bad thing. It's limiting it's um uh, it it's it's um sort of making us feel bad about things we should be feeling bad about it's um uh, you know we're making decisions based on sort of a skewed view of things and whatnot so let's talk about what legalism would be in this situation legalism is when we're following the letter of the word but we're violating the spirit of the word uh, so as as Matt's pointing out, you'll find somebody who will say, well, you know, A plus B equals C, so therefore this is what the Bible says about this, when when we know it isn't saying anything because it didn't exist at the time. Uh, but it's much more important for you and I to look at the spirit of what does the Bible say about what it means to be a parent? What does the Bible say about how we should go about being parents and what what does that mean? How does that work? Um, what kind of parents 
do we need to focus on being? I think these things are much more of what's being talked about in Scripture and much more relevant to your situation. I, I think if you try to, tr- you know, put a, uh, a sort of a, a moral or ethical dimension to this, it would be looking at, um, you know, does the Lord want us to use our finances in these ways? Uh, you know, maybe the Lord uh, wants for this to wait and happen in a, a natural way. Uh, maybe the Lord wants this to be an adoption kind of situation instead. Uh, as Jed said in the last episode, that's an awesome option that's out there. Uh, but if we've gone through those options and we know that the Lord is saying, move forward in this area, that maybe making the sacrifice of spending this money creates a different view uh, about this this parenting and about this child that uh, that we had to really uh, strive and put effort in and go through a lot to get to the place where this uh, child was in our lives. And the, that act of sacrifice prepared us mentally and psychologically and spiritually for how we were going to be parenting. So uh, I think we've got to let the Lord uh, speak to us on this and really think very long and hard about tuning everything else out. There's what the Lord is telling you in your prayer time. Everything else is just religion. And that trying to figure out how to go by sort of a legalistic um, and sort of religiosity kind of version of how to handle this situation that's not really going to get us closer to a life that pleases God, no matter what. Uh, ultimately, we want to look at the the issues of, again, the finances of it, the, the health elements of that, the timing elements of that. All those things would be relevant regardless of what kind of you know pregnancy and child situation we were looking at. So in, in that sense, it's just no different. Uh, it's important to work through those issues, but if you've worked through them and the Lord is saying, this is the way to move forward, uh, I, I, you, t- you could take those concerns to, to your doctor and say, here's, here's how we want this to work, if at all possible, and uh, you know, find a way to navigate that and move forward. But I, let's not close our minds off and let's not um, say, well, we... we uh, because uh, this uh, uh, fundamentalist preacher said this or that, that means we just can't even consider these kinds of options. I think that's a very, very important point and a great way to put it. And Jed, I'd love to, to throw it to you here, because as, as Glenn's leading us to, uh, ethics is a real thing. Uh, yeah. it's, a real, it's a field of study. Yeah. Um, but just because someone uses the, a word like ethical or Here's a fun one that's been causing us all psychic damage in the last two or three years. Bioethics Ooh. Um, mm. doesn't mean they're talking about something that is actually ethical or that they have any uh, right to weigh in on it. So how do we go about uh, separating actual analysis and good advice from just a series of buzzwords? This is a great question, and I think a really pertinent question. I, I think it, it's important for you, the question asker, for you and your partner both, and talk about this together, who are you going to let weigh in on this decision? Who gets to have a vote on this? Who gets to offer input on it? Um, who, who gets to offer commentary on it? Because uh, I think you're going to have a lot of people who want to give you their two cents, and I think you should think very carefully about who's input you're going to in any way actually include in your decision-making process. And as a part of you figuring that out, I want to encourage you to think long and hard about who is qualified to weigh in on this. Cause there are certain issues that are hot button that man, they just bring out. Everybody wants to have a thought and a feeling and an opinion on this. And when you're trying to make an important decision that that is important, that, that may have a moral component to it, an ethical component to you, and it's going to have a very big impact on your life, we really only want to take input from qualified people. I, th- I think the, the last many years have given us examples of what happens when you don't do that. So who is qualified to weigh in on the situation? And 
I think given that your question in many ways is fundamentally an ethical question, people who actually study ethics as an academic discipline with rigor and accountability would actually be great people to consider letting weigh in on your question. Like you shouldn't let me weigh in because I don't know anything about this, not even a little bit. So yeah, I definitely don't include me at all. Uh, as we look at, for example, ethicists who have studied and written, um, we also want to note that um, pedigree matters. Uh, we we want to find people who like an ethicist from Harvard and an ethicist from Bob Jones University are not the same thing. Um, no, no offense to Bob Jones University, but, you know, so it goes. Uh, these are these are not the same thing. And so we want to find actual experts who know actual stuff. One more thought to go with this that, that's really, really important that I think there's something weird about the human brain um, that is just not prepared to know what to do with lies, including unintentional lies. And, and here's why this matters. You know, right now, a lot of Christians who think they know something about in vitro fertilization and don't. I promise you that you do. I want to repeat that for you. Right now, in your actual normal life, you know a bunch of Christians who think they know things about intro, in vitro fertilization when they do not. And the reason that I can say that confidently is there is a lot of what is basically folklore that spreads very rapidly in church circles about kind of hot-button issues that is often just completely made up just not in any way grounded in reality. I will give you a medical example that is real. I'm not making this up. This is from my, my childhood. Um, in Christian circles, they would talk about condoms are useless in preventing AIDS because the, a virus is so, so much smaller than the imperfections in latex. So what, right. what, would, what would the use even be? So that's why we have to tell people to not have sex and do, condoms don't matter. That's a thing I was taught in a health class at a top 100 high school in America. Wow. <laughs> Public education in the South, folks. So you'll have people pass around facts that are, that are wrong. This is wrong. This is, I, I say no to all of this, not on a moral level, but on a factual level. That is, that is right out. But you will have people in Christian context, especially, who will give you an impassioned plea that they 100% are sincere about that is just wrong. And again, not even like, like they're morally wrong, but like they just, they are, they are incorrect in the things that they are saying and they do not know this about themselves. So if you're coming from a Christian background and it is something of a hot button issue, it's all the more reason why finding real reputable, actual experts who can help guide your journey, why that really, really matters. And we want to be careful to screen out people who are not qualified to weigh in. Absolutely right. And that really does happen at every stage of the process. You know, you, you say in your question that you're uncomfortable with the idea of multiple fertilized embryos and then some of them not uh, being used in the fertilization. That's totally legitimate. You might find other uh, Christian people who do not have that ethical qualm. That's just a fundamental disagreement about some very basic uh, biological questions that is okay. Um, you, if you have that concern, it's a valid concern. And you can go into talking to experts, both ethical and medical, with that concern on board. You're even if I or someone may disagree with it, you're allowed to have your concern because it is yours. What we're talking about here is a lot of this trouble comes when people decide that their subjective uh, decision on a gray area question is just the one and everyone must uh, subscribe to it at all times. And no one wants to hang out with you when you act like that about mm -hmm. anything and everything. Um, so again, uh, there's a phrase that Lee uses a lot and it's a great one. Uh, the idea of credentialing someone. So there's yep. credentials that someone may have in the way that, uh, you know, Jed is talking about with the uh, credentials, a Harvard ethic ethicist may have that a Bob Jones ethicist might not. And I'm really going to fight the urge to label the, to uh, title this episode. No offense to Bob Jones university, because I think that <laughs> is hilarious, but may really uh, get us on some search engines that we don't want to be on. Yeah. Uh, but so there's that kind of credential, but then you kind of have in the sense of like backstage passes credentials that you get to hand out in your life and some that you get to hand out on a case by case uh, situation. You know, you may know some people in your life who 
they, you know, they're nice at church and they're lovely people, but you don't want to talk about any fertilization in vitro or other with them because yeah. they can't be normal. That's totally fine. You do not have to credential them for this conversation in the same way, just because somebody wrote an article on, you know, some website does not mean they know what they're talking about in general and specifically for your situation. So you get to set your own parameters and then you can go about finding solutions and finding strategies that work within those from people who actually know what they're talking about and a great way to move forward. And we're going to move to our final question here. It comes in and says, any tips for loving people who are just kind of tough to love? Like maybe they're going through a bad time withdrawing or they just seem to have walls up. And a, another very cool question. And Glenn, where do we start off here? Well, I uh, believe me, I, I, I know the type. Uh, I guess we probably, we all do, uh, of people who are tough to love. Uh, I think the first thing I want us to look at on this is, is acknowledging that you have limits and nothing is gained by you getting over those limits. Absolutely nothing is gained by that. Uh, It's great to say, I love this person who has problems, and yes, they are tough to love, but my love is so strong, I'm just going to keep loving them and keep putting up with this toxic behavior, and I'm going to be on a cloud of spirituality where none of it touches me, and I'm going to be above it all, and I'm just going to do that for as long as it takes. That is not going to happen. Uh, you have limits. You have a, a, a certain amount that you can endure. And no matter how much you pray, no matter how much uh, whatever it is, you're a human being. Uh, human beings have physical limits. They have emotional limits. They get to a place where this person is is exhausting me. And if you don't know where those limits are, they will jump up and bite you in the behind. And the way that that works is somebody will take you over those limits and you will find yourself saying things that will do lasting damage to the future possibility of this relationship. Uh, You'll say things that you can't take back about that. And that's a worse outcome than even just distancing yourself and ignoring them would be better because at least uh, whenever the, the weirdness blows over, you you're still at zero. Uh, so part of it is recognizing you have limitations. Uh, the second thing to recognize is if this person is a, is in any kind of a sabotaging or uh, sort of an insecurity type of place with this, if that's what's going on here, uh, then it's important to recognize that uh, insecure people um, will, uh, cause the ruination of anything in arm's reach. That's how that's how insecurity works. Is uh in, insecurity takes love and turns it into something ugly. Uh insecurity is just about constant suspicion of everything. Someone says, Hey, I love you. Have a nice day. And you're like, what's this dude's game? What's he trying to pull? What kind of and did you see the way he said it and like the way he, I don't know, but it just, and then you, you know, you, you tell sort of an exaggerated version of that to all your friends. Like he said it in a way it was just so creepy. Is that just me? And they're like, no, if he's creepy, he's creepy. And they're like, I know there's a building consensus that this was creepy. You know, that's what insecurity does. It doesn't allow us to receive love. It doesn't allow us to, uh, just enjoy good, healthy relationships. We end up sabotaging those things. We end up causing problems. So if you're dealing with somebody who has that kind of toxicity, it's about recognizing they're going to, to you know, first of all, they're not going to receive that love as long as they're stuck in that insecurity, but also to realize they're going to hurt you in one way or another. They're going to create problems and and so you're not getting to them, they're getting to you in that kind of situation. In those kinds of situations, it's important to recognize, I want to stay close, but I don't want to stay too close. I want to be maybe a little bit in the outer orbit of this person's life, still there, still planting lots of good seeds about, hey, I love you. Hey, I'm here for you. But give them the space and the time to deal with those insecurities, because that's what they need. Uh, And they need to work out their stuff before they can have a healthy relationship with you. 
And while you're dealing with that, believe me, there's lots of other people that are not on that toxicity and not on that insecurity that really need love from you. So put that where it can do the most good. Final quick thought is is this. There are some people that are hard to love because they want to see us earn their trust. Uh, they they It's not necessarily exactly like putting us to the test. They do want to see us be consistent in a certain kind of way. They they do want to see us prove ourselves on a certain level, uh, particularly in ministry situations. I deal with that a lot. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what I think of this guy, and they have to see me a few times before they they're giving me that that respect and before they're giving me that openness. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It may be a little bit tough to love someone who's, you know, kind of making you earn it and, and taking you over the hurdles in that sort of way. But if you earn that trust and they give that to you and earn that that respect and they give it to you, then that's a good and healthy thing. If you've done everything you need to do to earn it and they're still not giving it to you, then again, that's about creating a little bit of distance, giving them a time to work through their issues, and then when they're in a better place, then we can get a little closer Meanwhile, we're focused on people who are really ready to receive that love. Absolutely right. Excellent place to start off. And Jed, where do we take things from there? Well, you know, I was thinking about some stuff related to this earlier today, actually. Um, and I want to ask you kind of a, a question that I don't think comes up very often in Christian circles, but it, it, I think it'd be good for you to think about. I think it's a great place to to begin. Are you enjoying this relationship? Like, are you, are you glad that you interact with this person? I want you to actually think about that because I, I don't think that Christians give themselves the permission to, to answer that very often. Like if this is a person where you have like a professional relationship with them, then um, whether or not you enjoy the relationship is not super relevant. There's certain kinds of, of ministry stuff, you know, you're volunteering, you know, uh, to help lead with the youth group and there's, you know, a, a kid who comes and he's kind of annoying. Uh, it, it's not so much that relationship, not really about you enjoying it. It's about, you know, kind of serving somebody else. But like, if this is just in your normal life, do you enjoy this relationship? Because I think we have a continuum and similar to a number of things Glenn was saying, we, we're going to need some left and right limits here where if you're looking at this relationship and saying it's not as close as it could be, it's not as intimate as it could be. I think you're going to find that's true for every relationship in your life. Like literally every relationship is capable of greater intimacy than what it currently has. That's, that's kind of the nature of humanity. And part of the reason for that is that we don't love anybody perfectly and we don't love anybody at a hundred percent of our capacity. There's just not really any such thing as that. And other people are not able to receive at a hundred percent, uh, you know, so every relationship, like every relationship you have is on some level, a negotiation of what we have to offer and what they're able to receive and vice versa. And that's okay. Uh, the idea that a relationship is not 100% of everything that it can be, that doesn't mean that there's a problem. That means that there's a human relationship. So on the one hand, we have this idea of if we are kind of holding relationships to an unrealistic standpoint, if we're saying this isn't everything it could possibly be, therefore I feel like I must be doing something wrong. Well, that, you know, you're not doing something wrong. It's just that's just life. But if on the other hand, I don't enjoy this relationship and I don't like being around this person and they are a pain to deal with, and I don't feel like I do anything that makes their situation better at all. Well, you're also not obligated to hang on to that relationship. Um, if this is just totally a, a, a drag and it's not good for them, it's not good for you. You should, you should let that go, man. And I think what we're going to find is that the vast majority of relationships that we have in life fall somewhere in between those two extremes, somewhere in between. I love it, but I almost feel guilty because, you know, how do, how do we make it better? And a relationship like, oh, this is bad for both of us, and I don't like it at all. I don't know why I'm still here. Most most relationships are in between those two extremes, and that's okay. And I think that's part of why we, we're going to need to fall back on, am I enjoying this? Are they enjoying this? If you both are enjoying the relationship for what it is, and you're enjoying each other's company for what it is, that's great. 
maybe you can grow that. Maybe you can't. I don't know that you need to if you're if you're both enjoying that relationship and enjoying each other. But if for either one of you, it's like, no, I'm not actually digging this. At the very least, you should take a close look at what those dynamics are and why you're having them set up that way, because you deserve as much as you can to enjoy the relationships in your life. Absolutely right. That is that is right on. And as both these guys are pointing to, um, the answer to this is going to be exist on a spectrum. And sometimes the best thing you can do to love someone who's in a spot where they're just have those walls up or stuck on something weird is giving them space so that they don't say or do something that uh, shipwrecks the relationship for all time. Um, You can only give someone as much love as they are willing to accept at any given moment. And unfortunately, be it, be it insecurity, be it being in a weird place, be it uh, whatever the reason might be. Some people just have a gap, a, a limit on how much they can intake currently. And it's, it can feel tragic when that there's a big chasm between what that amount they're willing to receive is and the amount that you're willing to give them. But uh, we rarely get anywhere by pushing that limit uh, on their end because it just ends up getting messy and feelings get hurt and things uh, go poorly. So uh, taking what the defense gives you in this way uh, is a very good strategy, even though sometimes it feels like you really should be pushing through. And I think we, uh, we as Christians can certainly get a little wound up on the idea that loving someone who doesn't want to be loved is the most Jesus-like thing you can do when there's no part of the Bible where that actually happens. When Jesus, when people don't want to deal with Jesus. He lets them have that choice. And he, of course, being God knows that they're going to come back around later or whatever's going to happen. But there's, there's never chasing anyone through the street, uh, demanding that they accept the blessing of his love when they don't want it. And that is probably a good example for us to follow here. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time for The BridgeCast. If you can't join us live, you can catch all those episodes archived at facebook.com slash bridgechicago. We'll take the song this week. This is featuring the talents of our friend Linz Honeyman, a very fun song he and Jed put together based on one of Jesus' parables called No He Wasn't. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that, Heavenly Ascent Jetpack is the best way to leave a lasting spiritual impact. Warning, indoor use of a jetpack is not advised in a closed-roof building. Two men go to the chapel. Two men go to the church. The first steps up to the microphone to give the speech that he's rehearsed. He clears his throat and begins to brag about how clean he keeps his nose. He's well-behaved and generous. Then comes his crescendo.
Wasn't. 